Welcome to the Total Clarity Podcast with me, Jesse Hyatt. And I'm Mike Varley. And today we have a special tropical storm edition of the Total Clarity Podcast. Yeah. We had actually a version of this podcast recorded while we were on the street yesterday. And due to some technical difficulties, it was not usable. But I think in some ways it was for the best because Friday, after we recorded it, it rained a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. Lots and, of rain. Yeah. And so it, uh, I, it it may well be that this is the most rain we encounter for the entirety of the year. We're not really sure, but... It's possible. I kind of feel like it wasn't the heaviest rain I've ever experienced. So I think we're going to get crazier days, but it was definitely the heaviest rain that we've experienced so far. And... I was kind of overly confident, I feel like, going into the day yesterday because we've had some rain days already, but they've been like on and off and kind of just like drizzly or like or maybe a couple hours of medium rain, right? Mm -hmm. And just putting on a rain jacket over everything with the hood up has been perfectly fine. And then yesterday, that was not perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited to say that we walked through a tropical storm. That yeah. feels good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess perfectly fine. We made it. We still did it. We made it home. Nothing catastrophic happened. So I guess things are still perfectly fine. And we, and yeah, we walked through a tropical storm. Yeah. It was pretty manageable the first two hours of rain or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say about two hours. And then after that point, I don't know if it was the fact that the rain became much heavier or just the fact that we reached a saturation point of some kind, but it then was, we were just entirely in water. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, I, it could have been a combination of both too. Mm -hmm. It was at the point in our route where we were, would you say about two-thirds of the way through? No. I would say halfway through when it started raining or when you're saying when it when started. When it got bad. When, when everything was waterlogged, yeah, it was probably about two-thirds through. Yeah. But yeah, but about halfway through the day it started raining. Yeah. So we made it through whatever that would be half a third or a sixth or something of the day <laughs> of the rain time was fine. I did not know math would be involved. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it didn't rain for the first few hours and then it rained for a few hours and we were good. And then the final few hours, we weren't even, it wasn't uncomfortable in the way that some of the other things we've been dealing with are uncomfortable. It was a, a little preposterous, so. That... Yeah, I think my, so basically what happened is that it was, it was raining. We were fine. It was kind of raining on and off at first. We'd have the, the raincoat on. We have raincoat, rain pant, suit. And then we also have rain shoes. And yes. all of this is meant to be 100% rainproof. And it, the rain is supposed to just fall right off of it, right? So 
The pants were great. The pants stayed on the whole time. The coat, we were, I was able to take it on and off because it was kind of raining on and off. And even when it was raining heavy, I felt perfectly comfortable and my feet were dry and everything was good until that point in the day where it really started coming down and it had been, and we had been in rain for a few hours already. And that's when my shoes stopped being waterproof. <laughs> Just all of a sudden they were, they, my feet were completely dry and I had been like stepping in puddles and it had been raining for a few hours. So it was raining on top and there was water on bottom. But then all of a sudden my feet were just waterlogged. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what happened, but. Yeah. I think probably just stepped in a couple of puddles too confidently and then it just became the thing. Yeah. But I mean, I was trying to avoid puddles and it eventually happened to my shoes as well. So that, yeah. So we have these, we have actually like eight or 10 total rain out, rain apparel pieces. Yeah. So, cause we, we only wanted to order like one or two and we found this vendor that does them that met our standards for our clothing aspect of the project. Yeah. Do you remember what it was called? I don't know offhand. Started with a G, I think. They were, they're not union, but they were ethically produced as well. Yeah. They're produced locally too. And, um, they're known for their work gloves. Yeah. <laughs> but they make they make stuff for like construction and industry wear. Yeah. So we expected them to be pretty high quality. And I think they I think they are. I think we were wearing the lighter weight rain suits because it's hot out. So we we thought that'd be good for summer. So we're just going to have to keep testing them. We'll test the thicker ones and see if those work better. Yeah. It was our intention only to get a couple, but we wanted them branded. So they have, they have our logos on the back. Yeah. And there was a minimum order of like 10. So, but it's been nice because earlier in the week when it was raining, we just have ponchos. Galeton. Sorry to interrupt. No, no. I just remembered. Uh, Yeah. That sounds like a a company that can handle a gale. Yeah. Yeah. Right? (laughs) So... So yeah, so it's the poncho has been very nice because it's just something you can throw on and off, kind of sh- just you know shake it off of water, and also it goes over the backpack, so that's nice. But uh, these other ones, yeah, they they can only hold up to a certain amount, which you know we were we went through a tropical storm. It's not really like something that I would expect. Yeah, we put it we like really put it to the test. Yeah. and on um, uh, so. We got all our clothes did get wet underneath, except for, well, no, even even my boxers did get wet, <laughs> but they seemed less wet. That area seemed the driest of everything. But unfortunately, a couple of our shirts uh, were, we happened to wear shirts that were susceptible to running. Well, you wore the shirt that you made. Yeah. And I've washed it a number of times. And didn't think it would run, and we heat set it and everything. Yeah. But I think just from getting the rain like pounded on it, yeah. the you had drawn out your oh I just touched the mic sorry, you had drawn out your design on the shirt in Sharpie I think right, mm-hmm. which like should be pretty permanent. Yeah. But 
I think just the amount of rain and it was all going in one direction and for hours and that's not how you wash clothes and that's not how you sweat and yeah I think it just kind of took it yeah took it, it for a loop it's it's, it's not bad it doesn't it look bad cool. all of our clothes are off camera so right, we're looking we're at it right looking now <laughs> but it's it's not as bad as it could have been and also I mean I think part of the project that was interesting to me was seeing how the clothes would react after, you know, a season's worth of wear yeah. under intense circumstances. Yeah, so. and so we're already learning week three. Yeah. Two of our shirts have gotten some stuff happening to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and my shirt was the Union shirt, which it's just screen printed on the front, so that didn't get affected, but I chose and I even thought about it in the morning. I was picking out a hat to wear, and I picked this hat that Mike tie-dyed for me like three years ago, and thinking that it would be fine because we've, I've had it for so long, and I've worn it, I've washed it, it's gotten wet a million times because I usually wear it in the rain. But I did even think about it because it's tie-dyed with black and dark blue and purple, and I thought, wow, this might, like, I thought maybe my face was going to get dyed or, like, like the part underneath the hat might get dyed. But I didn't expect what actually happened is that it dripped somehow down right onto my shoulders. Yeah. Oh, you know what probably happened is it was on the hood. It probably was wet on the hood, and then the hood... Mm. traveled down onto my shoulders. But so now the color on the hat on my left side is also on my left shoulder and the color on the hat on my right side is also on my right shoulder. It kind of lightened. I did a little rinse of it. And I think, I mean, I'm a, you know, I think I can color remove it if I choose to or I can lean into it and put some extra color on it to match the rest of the outfit. We'll see. Yeah. The shirt is already white, so it wouldn't be unreasonable to potentially dye it further. Yeah. I'm not sure if we've spoken about the union specifically or not, but this seems like a good opportunity yeah. to do it. Uh, each season we have one union that we represent through wearing their apparel. And this one is uh, Game Workers Unite, which was of interest to me relative to my previous job experience working in video games. And they have chapters all over the world. There actually is a New York chapter, but we were unable to get in touch with them. We reached out, but it didn't work out. And this is the only comp or the only chapter that had some apparel readily available online. So this was available through Etsy, and it was the British chapter. Yeah. And yeah, it's just well, it's the UK. The U yeah. I actually right. don't know if it's only British or not. It did come from England, but yeah. It's the, it's the UK chapter. I actually, I don't know how, how much of the UK that covers. Yeah. So, and the, as far as Game Workers Unite, it is concerned with the issues that are reg regular within the games industry, which is the idea of working past hours when it comes time to close a game. And just in general, the idea that employees are left to their own to negotiate their salaries and things like that. And it's not an uncommon occurrence to get rid of artists that are, you know, looking for salaries that are commensurate with their experience and value. 
and to have them discarded for people that are really eager to get into such a popular mm -hmm. industry. So I don't have any specific answers for how to move that conversation forward, but I do think it is a conversation worth having. And that's why we're wearing the shirts around. So. Yeah. Well, I think it's a challenging thing within all creative industries. And I, I can't really speak to other industries very much because I've never really existed in any other industry besides creative, the creative world. But there's there really is this idea that you sort of have to cut your teeth. Is that the right phrase? You. There's this idea that you have to intern for free, you have to work for free, you have to do things for a lower rate to get known and to get experience, even if you are really good and you've already paid $200,000 for college or whatever it is and, you know, and you've been practicing art making for a long time. And I guess it, the video game industry is, it kind of is right on that edge of, between creative and technology, right? I mean, yes. I don't. I don't know if the two are mutually exclusive necessarily. Mm. You know, I think it's a. It's definitely a passion industry, in a way that. Over. I mean, not all. Not all creative endeavors are necessarily passion endeavors. You could just be really interested in clothing and being being a costumer on a show that you're not particularly interested in. Right, of course. But a lot of, I, both historically, when games were made by one or just a handful of mm -hmm. people, I mean, of course they still are today, but to, today when the games that are of the AAA space are made by a lot of people, there's still a meaningful percentage that are really passionately invest in what they're doing. And that's where it gets murky because those people will genuinely not care about investing 12 to 15 hours a day for a year or more of a project cycle right. because they want to put out a product that reflects their care. So it can become difficult for people that also feel that degree of passion but want to have a work-life balance. Yeah, I think, well, I think that is a big part of the the challenge, right? Because it's one thing to put in 12 to 15 hours of work every day, five days a week for however many years for your own personal project where you are the one that is leading it, right? And you're the one that sort of benefits from it. But it's another thing to put in 12 to 15 hours of your own time into something that ultimately benefits a capitalist system for somebody else that owns the company that's your boss. I definitely, I mean, I've struggled with this a lot because I also have always worked doing things that I love. And I, I love making things. I love making beautiful things. But I think it's important, and I think I'm, that's part of why I'm so excited to be representing different unions throughout this, because I think labor is, it's really challenging to talk about labor and to keep both yourself accountable out of respect for your coworkers and the other people that work in your industry. If you let someone take advantage of you, even if you don't feel like they're taking advantage of you because you love it, 
then you're setting a precedent where everyone needs to be taken advantage of. And for anyone else to stand up for their own time, it won't, it just won't fly because you've already created this culture where that's okay. And it's, you know, it's okay to work over time for free, or it's okay to hire an intern to do work for free when they have bills. Everyone has bills. We live in a place where we need to make money for the time spent if we're working for other people. So I think in, yeah, I think in the creative industry, it's very challenging because there is that, that feeling like you're saying everyone or a lot of people want the output to be perfect and they want to feel proud of it at the end. And that is a lot of times equal, if not even more important to the monetary compensation. But I think there's other ways to do that. I think you can still have something that you feel really proud of without sacrificing the time and energy of yourself and other people and creating a negative atmosphere. Right. Well, I think that's the value of having a union because it acts as an intermediary within the employee base as much as it acts as an intermediary with the ownership. Exactly, yeah. And it just creates space for people to even talk about these ideas. Yeah, yeah. So that's the brief divergence into <laughs> what our union representation for this season is. If there's anybody that's interested in it or anybody that has more information on uh, Game Workers Unite than, than we do, we would love to hear more from you so that we can continue to talk about it through the season and throughout the project. But... Yeah, let's pivot back to what was going on with the walk. Okay, sounds great. So, yeah, the I think, I guess that takes care of the rain aspects for now. Yeah. It was exciting to walk through, and we've learned a lot, and we're going to go back into the lab, so to speak, <laughs> and try and figure out some improvements on what our rain game is. Right. But that was just the Friday of our walk through Northwest Queens. It is our... First of four weeks in a row where we're doing our survey of the borough of Queens. Mm -hmm. And this one was, as I said, the northwest section. And it hugged the coast for a good portion of it up along the East River, checking out some parks along there. Then we cut across kind of uh, on Astoria Boulevard and by LaGuardia Airport. And then pretty much got to the the Science Center, which is in Flushing Park, the tip of Flushing Park, mm -hmm. and then across Jackson Heights and back down to where our neighborhood is. That's yeah. the very high level. That's the quick, quick version. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll go through it more specifically now. To start with, with this walk, we were leaving from our house and, and returning to our house without taking any public transportation. So we were going through the neighborhoods of uh, Ridgewood and Maspeth, which are immediately to the north of us. And yeah, it's, it's pleasant to go through those areas. It's, it has like a lot of nice little shops. and Yeah. They feel like little, little, like really proper little neighborhoods to themselves. Yeah. Like there's a kind of a main street to some degree in each of those neighborhoods. And then surrounding it are mostly short buildings 
like our neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? I don't think I saw very many big condos in Ridgewood or Maspeth. No. Not really very many. Well, I guess actually I'll take that back. In Jackson Heights and Astoria, the buildings get a little bit bigger, but kind of closer out to where we are, the beginning and the end of the route, it feels like it's more two to four family homes. Yeah. There's a number of small parks. Mm-hmm. And also, a lot of the side streets are this funny mix of industry and residential. So there was this one, and it's not even that far from our house, only maybe 10 blocks up. There's something that looks like a wood chipper that's this big tower, and it's directly next to a three-family home. Right. And I kept seeing that thinking, like, if your window was just right aligned with that wood chipper, yeah. I think I would kind of like, I mean, it would only be happening during the day. Yeah. But I think it would be kind of funny. Yeah. It's like the opposite of living in a treehouse. <laughs> yeah. There is a little, you know, going directly up from our house, there's neighborhoods and then there's Wilson Avenue, which is where kind of the commercial spaces. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of restaurants near where we live. And then you go a couple more blocks and there's kind of a band of industry for a couple of avenues. And then it turns into this, this shops area. Mm-hmm. We walked, depending on the day, we walked up Forest Avenue and down Fresh Pond Road to get back to our area. Um, one of the things that we did that stands out in those areas is I purchased a couple of bagels. Now, for really mostly arbitrary reasons, I didn't eat a single bagel in 2019. Uh, I just, it was part of a larger thing that we were doing to an elimination diet. And it was one of the few things that stuck for the entire year. So now that we're doing the walks again, and especially through these neighborhoods, there are bagel stores. Another thing about our particular area is that there are no bagel stores no, for a not. mile and a half around, which seems obscene for New York City. But <laughs> it's true. Uh, for whatever reason, there isn't. So I had a couple of bagels this week. I had uh, an everything each time, whiskey and cream cheese. And Jesse and I, well, basically, I talked at Jesse <laughs> about the topic. Yeah, I mean, if I could eat the bagel, I would have a lot more to say. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of opinions about bagels. Do you, just a quick yeah. tangent. Do you remember when we finished our walk in Vermont and we landed in Montreal? Yes. And we <laughs> I think you had like six bagels in a row because you had to try. There were, what did they have there? The, I mean, the Montreal bagel is just like a... The Montreal bagel is a bagel that has an opinion on what it means to be a bagel. Right. And so a lot of people, if you're if you're from Canada or Montreal, they think that the bagel in Montreal is superior to the New York bagel. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'd never had a Montreal bagel. So I wanted to see what the story was. Yeah. And yeah, it wasn't six, but it was four. I had four bagels oh, four? in a span of 45 minutes. Maybe. We went to different places that all claimed to be and like, you know, visitor review uh, not books anymore, but the online version of that. 
claimed that these are the best bagels in Montreal, and we went to all of them. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was very fun to listen to you review them. I think that the bagels in Montreal are good enough to claim that they have a perspective. Right. But I don't think that they're necessarily better than New York bagels. And what I'll say about the Montreal bagels that I think is pretty significant as far as the cultural experience. Yeah, yeah. They do not, I mean, I don't even like calling it this, but they do not make bagel sandwiches. No, they don't put any sort of like schmear or anything on no. it. It's just the bagel it's by a, itself. It's a bakery and you take the bagels away. So you, they were offering Philadelphia cream cheese. Like it's it's insulting. I forgot I, how upset it, you were. Yeah, about I mean they yeah. were like the it basically it was like a roadside motel. <laughs> they had these little like you know capsules of cream cheese, and then they had locks, and it they were individually wrapped locks like it was a piece of like a, like a cutlet, a yeah. chicken cutlet. Yeah, although the locks did look good. I I mean it didn't it wasn't like some it wasn't just like branded like Costco locks or something yeah. it looked it looked like I don't know I, it's hard to mess up locks but well it just the fact that they were individually shrink wrapped and then they give yeah, you this weird. capsule of cream cheese a pallet of locks and then a plastic knife and they're just, they're just like go go nuts yeah. and so you we went to the park and I like assembled it was that was unacceptable yeah. but. I guess that's just culturally you you buy the bagels and then you go home and you do whatever you want with them. Right. You don't or I guess you can I mean they were good enough that you could just kind of eat it like a roll, you know, like right. walking around on the street. But Yeah, they weren't sliced either, were they? No. They were like popping them out. They had a little bagel conveyor belt yeah. that was just constantly flooded. Yeah. Yeah. So well, anyway, so that's your that's some history on you liking to review bagels, and then you did it again this week. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, this isn't so much a review as just a reflection on everything bagels in general. I feel like if an everything bagel doesn't have salt on it, what are you doing? You know, there was we we went to two this week, and we went, one was. It had poppy seed, it had sesame seed, it had garlic and onion. And that's like, okay, yeah, that's that's acceptable. But it did not have any salt. And then it, it's it's like, okay, this is fine. And, and then we went to another place and it had salt. It also had oat, which is like an occasional thing you'll see on everything bagels. I think it's kind of like a meaningless flourish, but like, that's fine. The thing that you really want to see on an everything bagel are rye seeds and or caraway seeds, because that is like the next tier of experience. But salt is, is a must. If you don't have salt, yeah. there's really no point. Second bagel had salt, right? The second bagel did have salt. Yeah, so okay. it reached the threshold. Do you remember the name of the bagel place? Because... No, they were both on Fresh Pond Road. Yeah. One was the non-salt bagel was further east. The salted bagel was further west. Yeah. Better bagel was west. Yeah. Yeah. So... But ultimately, uh, it wasn't called Better Bagel. That does sound like a name of a bagel, a bagel shop. But it one wasn't. was like Wow Bagel, and the other one was something <laughs> something else. Yeah, we're never gonna remember. No, not offhand. But yeah, the only other thing I'll say is, somewhere along the line, 
it became acceptable to ask if you want your bagel toasted. <laughs> that is just that I I don't know. I think people from you know that grew up on Lenders bagels or something infiltrated the New York system. I don't know what Lenders bagels is. They're just like like basically like Thomas's English muffin. Oh, it's like a pack of bagels yeah. that you buy and you yeah, and you have to toast those. Course, there's no there's yeah. no way to eat them otherwise. I'm not opposed to the idea of toasting a bagel. No, it's just. If you're making the bagels on site, there should never be a reason to toast them. Because they should be fresh enough. They shouldn't need to be toasted. They shouldn't be dried yeah, out. You only like, have to toast a bagel and it's dried out, right? Could you please stale my bagel a little yeah. bit? Thank you. No, there's no reason to do that. And ultimately, if you want a bagel, uh, really the best bagel at a good bagel store is the hottest, freshest one. Right. It's well, not the preference of what bagel you like. No. And that was funny. That was funny to me. The first bagel shop, the non-salted everything bagel shop, you asked them which bagels were hot, and they said none of them. They come out much earlier than this. And it was like 7.15 in the morning. Yeah. Like, how early are they making their bagels for people? They're, that means no one's ever getting a hot bagel. I Nobody's mean, coming there at like 6 in the morning as the bagels are coming out during a pandemic. I think that was the pandemic is the key. I would go to bagel stores at 5.30 to get a bagel because I know that it's going to be hot. Oh. But I... Is that standard? I just thought that they'd be... Whipping well, I think that's the difference batch. because of the pandemic. Oh, I don't think they're not making, making more. As many. Yeah, that was another okay, thing that about that sense. first bagel place. All right, I'll give them a break. The another thing about first bagel place, it seemed to have. Oh, was it? I told you about it. The, uh, that like yellow crust thing. Oh that, yeah, like a cornmeal. Yeah, thing, like a, you yeah, said, yeah. There was dusting. like some sort of cornmeal dusting on the bottom of the bagel, which has to be uh, maybe because they were like baked, not boiled or something. I'm not really sure. Yeah, to keep it from sticking to the thing. But I, I'm not sure I'd ever seen that, so that was a little strange. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably the rant about bagels for now. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. You did a good job. That's sufficient. There may be future bagel reviews. Oh, I'm sure there will. I mean, part of this is also like, I actually feel like this conversation is a big part of why we're doing this project. <laughs> like, you're from Long Island. You had a, you know bagels. Yeah. You know Long Island bagels, and it's very similar to New York bagels. And like, there's these little things that are so wrapped up into the culture here, and they're so silly. And like, I mean, silly isn't the right word. They're just they're just so minor, maybe to people that aren't from this region. Right. They might come to New York and try any bagel and be like, oh, wow, a bagel. But for people that, you, of course, you grew up on Long Island. There's plenty of bagels around. I grew up close enough that, like, I understand a bagel. Yeah. <laughs> We've also been here for long. I mean, I can't eat them anymore. But I certainly ate my fair share when I could. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, get, we all have these opinions on the little, like, minor details. And I do think that's a big part of... What holds the city together? <laughs> I think I have a feeling that no matter what neighborhood we go to within the five boroughs, we could ask somebody what they think of their bagels, yeah. and they would talk for as long as you just talked. You're probably right. Yeah. If they're fortunate enough to even have a bagel place. Otherwise, it'll just be a rant about how there's about no bagel place around. bagel place, exactly. Are we even in the city? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was good. That was... That was uh, 
that's the first 15 minutes of our route. Yep. And then 15, <laughs> like first hour, maybe. And then after that, we get through to a band of graveyards, which is something that we will deal with exclusively in a much later walk. Yeah. But as it stands, and we talked about this on one of our 360 videos when we visited uh, Trinity Cemetery, mm -hmm. which is where we were last week when we were on the podcast with Tahir. There is a, uh, a rule that allows you to essentially like double the size of your graveyards by making them on the border of Brooklyn and Queens. Yeah. So, or at least it was, there at, was at the time, a law yeah. when all of these cemeteries were being purchased and, and built out, I guess, where, yeah, exactly. You, there was only so much land you could buy for one particular thing in each borough, but then that meant if you bought it right on that edge of where the boroughs meet, then you could buy the same amount from each borough and it would be one place. Yeah. So as a consequence, there's a couple of cemeteries that are right in between where we're looking to go uh, each day. And so there are a couple of complications with the cemeteries insofar as our route planning accounted for us to start a little bit later than we found ourselves starting thus far, as well as an interesting wrinkle with respect to Google Maps that they seem to have a real blind spot when it comes to navigating through cemeteries. So for whatever reason, however they know, they know where small gates are in cemeteries. Yeah. However, those small gates are almost invariably always locked. Only the big ones are really open at cemeteries. So we're whenever we do our big cemetery walk, or really whenever we, we have a route that goes through a cemetery, because there are a handful where that was the case, it's going to be an interesting adventure to see if it is in fact accurate, and if we need to make detours every day, which is what we ended up having to do. Yeah, yeah, because in this particular route, we wanted to go through one cemetery, Mount Olivet, and then got there, I think like an hour and a half before it opened. So yep. had to backtrack. So then we tried to go through another cemetery, Zion Cemetery, and we were able to go in and it looked like we could go in and sort of over one direction. We did that and then that gate was locked and rusted, like it had never been opened. <laughs> so we had to backtrack through the cemetery and then we tried another exit, which was in fact open and it was a much bigger gate. Yeah. But there was, as we were going towards that exit, I mean, I was thinking there's a good chance that this is also going to be closed and we're going to have to go all the way back to the beginning. It was a pretty big cemetery. We were, thinking it was, we were going to have to go all the way back to the beginning and go around. And yeah, that would have just messed up the mileage for later in the day. Yeah. So Mount Zion Cemetery is really interesting. We're not going to talk about it because we'll be doing it at a later day. And we yeah. kind of cheated going in there, as far as I'm concerned. You think but, it was cheating? Well, no, I guess it wasn't cheating. It was just, I'm excited to talk about it, but yeah. it feels like I'd rather save it when we are doing a survey of all the cemeteries. Right, right, okay. But I will say, if you're looking for something to do, it's definitely worth going over there to yeah, check it out. It's, it's very cool and very unique, but yeah. we don't even, we're not even gonna tell you why yeah. until a few months from now or whenever our yeah. cemetery day is. We're just planting a seed. Yeah. You know? 
So anyway, each day we had to go through that area was a little bit different. And that was depending. Sometimes it was different because there was impending thunderstorms. It was a very like rainy and like rain threatening week. Yeah. So we tried to get through it as fast as possible. And other days we were just still trying to find our way navigating. You know, the further we get along in any given week, the more familiar we become with the territory. Mm -hmm. So that was a change too. And yeah, that whole area there is very much a truck thoroughfare. Yeah. And one day I went through there when Jesse was at work and I found perhaps the exclusive, but certainly one of the homes of Revel, the scooters. And there were just hundreds of them parked on the street and down alleyways and then inside the building where presumably they do the maintenance and receive them and whatnot. There were just hundreds more. And I took a picture. I couldn't even really see because, you know, it was like the the light of the day and like, but then I took a picture and then I, I left and I was reviewing the photos later and I ended up taking a picture where there was a, a wall of revels just lined up and then it said legal hold above them, which but made... it was like spray painted on the wall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to believe that, I mean, it makes sense that there are any number of legal questions surrounding the usage of revels and them being involved in accidents or customer yeah. versus a company and whatnot. And so that was kind of an interesting thing. But that was yeah. in, the, in the middle of like graveyard pure industry street and then another graveyard you know yeah which makes sense actually that it would be out there yeah but yeah it's a it's a strange those areas of the city in general are are weird but it's especially weird because you're walking through Maspeth and then you go through this complete it's basically like just an empty space i mean there's the graveyards and the industry but there's no homes there's no one else walking there's really, it's only, you would only go out that way if you're in a car. There's no public transportation. It's, so we were just walk. you know, we were just out there walking. It feels very similar to what it feels like when you're walking on the side of the highway. Yeah. Where, yeah, I feel like people are looking at us like, what are these people doing? Yeah. Um, but then... All of a sudden, you pass through that area, and there we are in Woodside. another neighborhood, Woodside. Yeah. And all there's these there's a bunch of Irish bars and Irish restaurants and lots of small, ninety nine cent like independent ninety nine cent stores and card stores, things like that. It's got the elevated trains there, which is a big feature of Queens in general is that there's a lot of elevation, be it yeah. be it trains or be it roadways. You're walking under bridges quite a lot. Yeah. And yeah, that's kind of interesting. And they, you know, the particularly the elevated train trellises create interesting shadows on the ground and like just, yeah, I, I like it on the whole. I mean, it does, inherently i think feel grittier in those areas yeah a little bit well it's just loud every time a train goes by you really can't even hear yourself if you're talking and then trash falls from the train tracks yeah. and rusty beams and things like that yeah 
Yeah. yeah, and if it's raining, there's like a huge, you know, like any awning has like this huge downpour right along the edge of the tracks. And when that's a whole street that's covered with like this area that's just pouring and yeah, it creates, just creates an atmosphere that I don't think will, would change unless the train track changed. Yeah, unless it goes underground. Yeah. And I don't think there's a lot of will politically to no. redo that right now. No, so. and it's also, I mean, it's not a problem. It just sort of, I, I kind of always, there's an elevated train over the other direction near us too. And I always kind of feel like it makes me feel like I'm existing in a timeless space mm -hmm. in New York, which I actually kind of appreciate Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like the aesthetics of it and I like what it is. It hasn't always been that way in terms of people's perceptions mm -hmm. of elevated mm -hmm. trains. I mean, it's, you know, it's louder and it's dirtier. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that it's hard, to, it's hard to justify that other than the fact that, you know, you can't just rip down all infrastructure all the time. So. No, no. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a feature of the borough that we saw a lot of this time and we'll see mm -hmm. if it repeats itself in yeah. subsequent boroughs. Yeah, as we, and also as we move walks. to different areas in Queens, we'll yeah. see if it's, if it's more just the northwestern part of Queens that has these elevated tracks or if it really extends all over. Yeah. So right at Woodside is probably what our favorite park was. Yeah, Windmuller Park. Yeah. It was a great park. Yeah, it wasn't particularly big. Although there was like a baseball diamond down there too that we yeah. didn't even really interact with. But was it, a, there was a track too. It was a pretty big, I think it was a pretty nice it was size. A, it was a large, small park. Yeah, it was kind of, it's on the top of a hill and it's sort of like different sections. So I guess each section doesn't feel that big. But then there's four sections, I think. Yeah, something so like that. Yeah, yeah, large, small, I think is yeah. a good way to describe it. Um, but yeah, there's a, the first section is just a round area with cobblestones or concrete stones or something like that. Decorative paving stones. Yeah. And there's benches all around that circle. And then up some stairs, there's a playground, and then there's also an open area. And two days in a row, we went right around 10 o'clock, and there was a the same woman both days. She brought in one of those rolling carts, a big speaker, and she was teaching Zumba, and it was so, I mean, this is why it was our favorite park, because there were a bunch of people that were in the Zumba class, but then there were also just throughout the park people that were following along doing it, and they, like, the people in the Zumba class were really doing it the whole time, but then everywhere you looked, there'd be someone doing it for a couple minutes and then stopping, and then you'd look over and they're doing it again, and then they're doing their own thing, and then they're doing it. But like everyone's there to exercise. There was a guy walking up and down the stairs holding a tennis racket, just <laughs> walking up and down the stairs. I think he did like 15 laps up and down the stairs, and every time he came up with his tennis, I don't even know if there was a tennis court. There was no tennis court. <laughs> <laughs> in Windmiller Park. There were, though, those um, handball courts. That's true. And sometimes I see people hitting a tennis ball against that. Yeah. But, yeah, it was just, it was a real scene. It was great. One guy came came in 
to the circular bench area at one point. We were sitting, taking a break, drinking some water. He was all the way across. He came in. He had on like a short sleeve business shirt. He unbuttoned the business shirt and took it off. And I was like, oh, wow, he's really going to like do some major exercises now. But then he just sat down and started eating a sandwich. <laughs> and then later he did some stretching. But it just... It was one of those spaces where it felt like like everybody there was no self-consciousness which I think is what I really liked about it. There was it wasn't like anyone was trying to impress each other with their exercises. It wasn't like that at all. It was just like this is a space where people can do their own exercising whatever that means to them and it can be whatever level you want it to be of engagement, but it didn't. It really didn't seem like anyone was looking at each other in any with any sort of judgment or doing anything like in a way that was showing off. It was, I. It was just like a nice kind of even democratic exercise space, if you will. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable how. I mean, maybe we should have asked that lady more about the Zumba. I'd be curious to know, like, how long they've been doing it and whatnot. Because we would also, when we go the reverse direction, we'd get there at 2 or 3 or whatever. And there'd still be people stretching and doing things, mm -hmm. which made me feel like the the Zumba energy resonated throughout the day. And I wondered if the Zumba started that energy or if that was predated like mm. if it had always been a park that's like that but there's just something about that that i i i can only i can see it pretty clearly in my head that like the zumba stops but there are still people stretching and that informs other people that like it's an okay area to stretch right and then it just kind of you know continues, continues throughout the day yeah. yeah that makes sense i guess if we go back through there we could strike up a conversation with her i think one thing that we had planned in general for this project was that we expected to be in more specific locations like going into places and then obviously with covid we can't do that places are either closed or we just don't feel like it's comfortable or responsible to be going into locations and sitting down and chatting for any significant amount of time but what that means is that we if we want to engage with people it's going to be on us because what we're doing is bizarre, but you don't know it just by looking at us, you know? Yeah. It's not like anyone's witnessing us walk the entire day. They just see, oh, there's some people with backpacks or whatever. We don't particularly stand out in the same way that the Zumba class does. Or we ended up, we did chat someone up at one point because what he was doing stood out more yeah so let's I think wait, let's wait for him we'll wait for him but I think one reason why I didn't talk to the woman running the Zumba is because I don't I feel like we're kind of needing to get into that well, way of engaging people yeah I mean it would have been difficult I mean we did get there one day right before they started so that yeah. would have been the time to be decisive although about she it. also got there right before they started yeah <laughs> yeah one day we got there and it was already happening another day we got there she rolled up and then pretty much started five minutes later yeah 
And then all of a sudden people just like congregated and it started. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree that it is incumbent upon us to make it happen. There is definitely a an equation that's in our heads or in my head as far as outreach at any given time. And much like trying to figure out what the right balance of documentation is, I feel similarly about that where I don't want to be too hard on myself because ultimately we're walking constantly oh, and yeah. there's so much exertion involved in what's going on. It'd be one thing if we were doing a walk every street in New York project where if you're if you're doing it over the course of six years and you're only walking five or six miles a day, you're like you have full energy and you see something and you, you know, engage that. Right. And you have the time to do that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, time is definitely a factor in in our process every day, how much time we have once we get home to like do preparation for the next day and right. relax at all. And also just there is there is a version of this where just perceiving things passively is a thing that happens too. Sure. I told Jesse this this morning and it wasn't something I had thought about and I hadn't put it together until I'd had some time to marinate on it, but one of the days that Jesse was walking, or one of the days that Jesse was at her studio, I saw a man at a park who's like kind of a tough guy looking out at the water and listening to George Michael's Careless Whisper, which was really funny. And then another day where I was with Jesse at a different park, I heard somebody, couldn't spot them visually, but they were playing Careless Whisper on one of those park xylophones you know, that, <laughs> that come uh, with a playground set. And, you know, they could, I could hear them struggling through it, like missing a note, but then figuring out how to do it. And that just made me think about, you know, where we're seeing the same people occasionally once or twice each week. And then, like, things repeat as far something like that you know, being aware of the idea that there's like some sort of energy that pervades spaces, cities and whatnot, that if you're spending some time just being open to it, you can kind of tap into. Yeah. Finding patterns, I yeah. guess, is what it is. Yeah. Which there's certainly, yeah, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people that have done that in different ways. I know my friend Emily used to take pictures of, um, playing cards and they're all over the city mm -hmm. and then she also was always seeing like the infinity sign just on the ground with different things of trash so there's like little things like that i think there's plenty of people that are doing it like over long periods of time to sort of noticing one particular thing but yeah i like this like i don't know that we'll notice george michael's careless whisper throughout the year. Yeah. I hope we do because it's a fantastic song, but <laughs> <laughs> but it might be more like week to week. There might be things that we notice that there's patterns in in those particular that particular period of time. Yeah. So from there, from Windmiller Park going the route the way that we're going right now. Yeah. We go to Jackson Heights. And mm -hmm. 
Jackson Heights, we spent most exclusively, almost exclusively, going through going on Thirty Fourth Avenue, which right now is an open streets street. So yeah. for thirty blocks or so, the traffic is blocked off, and you can walk in the middle of the street. And that was a really nice area. Yeah. There's the there's like planters in the middle dividing、mm -hmm. the two roads, so there's trees growing there. And it looks like maybe it's a community garden to some extent. The planters in the middle, because I saw some people tending to it, and there's these handwritten signs that say, "Don't step here, plants growing" or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and the the apartment buildings are really nice. I, I don't know, they're somewhere five, six stories maybe. Yeah. On either side, pretty, I mean, they're big buildings. They're not like individual housing units, but they all have kind of a courtyard vibe, and and there's trees everywhere, and it, yeah, it felt very nice to to walk on. Yeah. The the route called for some deviation going up and like up to like Thirty Sixth Avenue or down, you know, and we did take those a couple of days, but by and large, that was the. The route that we took the most, just because it was, it was nice.、Mm -hmm. And then from there, we get we get off there around 104th Street, right? And then we're through what I believe is Corona、yeah. area, and that is it changes so quickly from that area that we're walking through of Jackson Heights, and I know there's. More to Jackson Heights than what we walked through, but that particular、yeah. street that's closed off is so quiet and residential. Yeah, we didn't go through any commercial space.、So. No, but then once we turn off of it and we're in Corona, it's like bustling. Yeah, and it feels there's a mini mall and there's shops on all the side streets, and then there's a main street. There's a plaza where there's different food carts and. Yeah, it's really, and it's not a huge area that's like that, but it's it feels like more than just a downtown. It feels like a real central spot. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, in those, in that little span that we travel through, and you can see it on the map on our website and whatnot. It goes from you know the elevated train and then the high commercial area. And then there was that section of 104th Street that felt like a version of a small town, yeah, but with with a Queens spin on it.、Mm -hmm. And there was a commercial, you know, like commercial stores, and then like four houses, like normal houses, on the same road, right? Which was really interesting, right near St. Leo's Church. So I know it's 104th Street. I can't remember the cross streets right now. I'm not going to look them up,、either. but if if you look up St. Leo's Church and you like kind of scan around that area, you can see. So, yeah, it was it was a very endearing section of the route. And then we cut over to the child the science center. Is it Children's Science Center? I、or? think it's the Hall of the New York Hall of Science、mm, yeah. is what it's called. New York Hall of Science. I don't think it's particularly like specifically for children, but we posted some pictures. On Wednesday, of the route, and our friend Tom said that was like the place to be as a kid. He grew up in New York, and yeah,、um, and it did feel, you know, there's a playground that has these 
either decommissioned or model, life-size model rockets sticking up out of the trees. And it felt generally like it would be a great place for summer camp or some kind of, you know, it seemed like a real good place for a field trip or something like that for kids. Just the vibe. We couldn't go inside. It's closed right now. But even just the vibe of like the parking lot, the way that it's set up and the way you go in and the posters that were up, it did, it did have a, it did seem like it was geared towards kids, but I don't think it's specifically. Yeah, I can't think of an adult science museum. Good point. I think they're generally, <laughs> and like most of the science museums geared for children are still fun for adults. So. Sure, yeah, and you might still learn something. Yeah. But. yeah. So, yeah, we would, we stopped for there for lunch a couple of times, but there wasn't much there otherwise than seeing the rockets. I wanted to get closer, but they're like fenced in because you need yeah. to pay admission. So. Right. Uh, it's also right, like you said, it's right on the edge of um, Flushing Meadows Park. Is that what it's called? I believe so. And the zoo is in there and the World's Fair is in there, where the World's Fair used to mm -hmm. be. There's a big um, sculpture, statue, globe. Yep. Mm -hmm. what, I don't know what it would be called, but it's that big globe. And it's near City Field. Um, so we'll be back in there, I think, next week. We're Either next week or the following going week. Going through. Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk more about the whole park. But this week we just hit to the Hall of Science. Yeah. And so then we go up 110th or thereabouts. There was one street on 100 or one, 110th and some cross section where there were the most power lines I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah going across between houses and then any house that it attached to, there were just like bundles and bundles of wires. And it was pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, it was wild. We, our friend Alexa said that that she, that's always made her wonder about Queens. Right. Like it's something she's noticed more than just on that one. Like it's in many different places. And whether it's just that the electrical systems aren't buried over there or right. are never sort of merged, but it's like every time someone moves in, they add another wire. So who knows? <laughs> That's what it felt like. It felt like it was just like, oh, we need another device. Well, let's wire it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we go through there, and then after passing through that little area, we are on Astoria Boulevard for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And Astoria Boulevard is an area that for me, when I think of what my preconceptions about Queens are, that was definitely one of the things that felt like I already had in my head about mm -hmm. what Queens is. Which Astoria Boulevard, in that section, we go from like a, a 110th to 80th or something like that is just this thoroughfare where you're you're oh it's an in-between space you're you're going towards somewhere else there's not really that there are stores on either side but you're not intending to go there you're intending right. to go somewhere else and so there there's a lot less trees and it really feels like a savanna or like a, a desert of, of like space especially when you're walking on a hot day where you're just like, okay, just got to go through this yeah. space to get to somewhere else. Yeah, that was actually, there were people doing construction every day 
on Astoria Boulevard in the same spot. And that was another time when I felt like we were being looked at, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why are you wearing those hiking backpacks and walking on Astoria Boulevard? Like, what are, where are you going? Are right. you coming from the airport? Like, what? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually what they were thinking, but it, it, I definitely felt like I was getting quizzical looks from the construction people. Yeah. And honestly, I was kind of looking at them like, why are you doing this? <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> like, right. What are you guys even doing? You're still here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was, there was a cool thing that happened a couple times on Astoria Boulevard when we got further down where it is so close to LaGuardia that the planes were flying in and they were right, like you could touch them. <laughs> Basically, yeah. They were right above the street. Yeah, it was frustrating because <laughs> every time we saw them, we didn't have cameras ready and we wanted to take like a video or something. And then we'd can like then we the days that we were there and we were prepared, they wouldn't fly over. Right. And then so ultimately I came to the conclusion that it just must have been this like one off situation where they were redirecting traffic based on the weather. So we didn't think about it at all. And then like three more flew over the day that we were yeah. there, like and had formed that opinion. It was crazy. But we weren't ready for it. But it also, I mean, it was part of what was so unique about it is that they're so low and you can't see them coming. Yeah. Like, I guess they're already low where the trees are hiding them from your view. Yeah. So they just come in and they're gone. Yeah. So like in the time it takes, even if I was holding my phone, the time it took for me to like swipe up to the camera and hold the button, it's gone. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. It's like, um, you know, you can't capture some things. You just have to experience it. I would like to capture it. <laughs> One day we're going to go back when maybe when the project's over or maybe if we en encounter it again. Yeah, we might be over there again. Yeah, I have some ideas for how I would like to document it. But okay. We'll see. We'll see if it actually comes to fruition or not. Yeah. And so from there, we go up to 20th Avenue and uh, the Dittmar's region, Dittmar Steinway yeah. section, which is... In industry as well, kind of has a little bit of a similar vibe to Astoria Boulevard, but a lot more vacant. There aren't there aren't mm -hmm. stores. There's not as much car traffic. There are some cool graffiti on the lamp posts that some artist must have t taken itself. And they were all a consistent theme, so some artists must have taken upon themselves to do it. Yeah, I, I didn't see any signature or anything. I was looking. No, no, I took a picture of one of them, and it's on the. Instagram Yeah, recap. if anyone recognizes it and knows who that is, we'd like to know. Yeah. Um, they were cool. Yeah. And then from there, we hug the coast of Queens all the way down, which has a number of parks yeah. along it, starting with Astoria Park, which is one that we covered in the 360 video as well, back mm -hmm. around Memorial Day. Yeah, you can go check that out. Yeah. And yeah, that's just a great park. And we ended up meeting with some friends there. Uh, Alexa joined us mm -hmm. for a little bit of a walk. And our friend Zach joined us. They mm -hmm. both live in the area. So they... Yeah, they both just joined us in the park and then left at the bottom of the park. Yeah. Um, but it's a nice... It's a nice... It's not a huge park, but it's like kind of the perfect amount of a walk to catch up with someone and then let yeah. them go home. Yeah. 
while we're doing visitor shout outs, we did visit with our friends Brian and Nina uh-huh. and, their, and their dog Scramps in yeah. Jackson Heights. Brian was originally intended to be a guest on this particular episode, but the tropical storm washed out that. Yeah, but, we wanted to record with him yesterday, and yeah. then there, that was not, there was no way to do that. We yeah. actually went, um, he gave me a pair of socks to freshen up. <laughs> we went when my feet were waterlogged. That's yeah. when we arrived, which is, you know, why we weren't able to record. But yeah. we'll have him on um, a f- soon. A future episode. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think, did, were there any other people that visited with us this week? I don't believe so. I think that's everyone from this week, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so Astoria Park was great. It, it has the two bridges there and a lot of old growth trees and mm-hmm. just a nice, calm space. And we walked down Vernon Boulevard from there, more or less. There's a little bit of navigation mm-hmm. to, get, to get on to Vernon Boulevard. But then we got, went to Socrates Sculpture Park, right? which was going through a transition period at this time. Yeah, they're installing a new sculpture right now. And I made a note about what it was it, because I knew I would probably forget. But it was really bright. And it said, Respect Indigenous Lands. And it was a tall structure that sort of looked like some kind of indigenous structure or Mayan temple. But I looked it up and so it's designed by a person named Jeffrey Gibson. It's called Because Once You Enter My House It Becomes Our House. And it's an homage to the ingenuity of indigenous North American peoples and cultures, an homage to pre-Columbian Mississippian architecture, and also an homage to queer camp aesthetics. And apparently there will be some indigenous-led performances to activate the sculpture over the course of the installation, which look like they're listed on the Socrates Sculpture Park website. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they're going to be live streamed on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Yeah, it was the intent to have everything up and ready by Friday. Mm-hmm. But we were talking to the, I guess, was it the gallery curator? I think he said he was the studio manager. The studio manager. Yeah, for the space. And then there was another another couple people installing. Yeah. And so they had concerns about whether or not it was going to get done in time and then with the tropical storm bearing down on Friday that those plans were deemed unrealistic. Right. So Right. We but yeah, it was it was cool to see the work on it each day as kind of a thing to progress or a thing to process and observe yeah and we yeah to be able to chat with people was nice and yeah from there we went down to rainy park uh-huh which is where it started raining yesterday it did it was very fitting it's where we put our rain gear on yes <laughs> yeah and so that's nice that's a nice park as well yeah. then you walk down a little bit past a power station which right. I'm not sure which power station that is. I don't but. know. And they have these little plaques in the pay, in the sidewalks, which I don't know if you noticed or not. But it says, "This is private property. You're here at our will, and like we can revoke that if we want." Really? Yeah. In front of the power plant? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, you go through that area, and then you're in Queensbridge Park,、mm-hmm. which is another cool、mm-hmm. park. And from there, we cut down. What what's what area is that? I mean, I guess it's just Long Island City Long at that Island point. Long Island City, yeah. yeah, I think it is pretty much just right after that. Yeah, and yeah, there's a, the last park there, Gantry Plaza State Park. Yeah, that was a cool park. Which is where the Pepsi Cola sign is. That is. Famous,、mm-hmm. and that area was an area. When I think of Queens, earlier I mentioned the idea of having familiar notions of what Queens is and having those validated or verified as we're walking through. That one is an area of affluence that I guess I knew existed, but have never really had the opportunity or just. Haven't spent much time walking around. Yeah, I definitely. As soon as we were in that little area, I didn't feel like we were even in New York. It didn't. It felt like it actually reminded me of that one little plaza we went to in Detroit that、mm. looks out over the water. Interesting. But yeah, it's just just the way it's sort of open and there's like big minimalist kind of sculpture, and then yeah the. The condo buildings that are tall and seem very nice.、It、yeah, fe- I mean that you know that part. I that part the condo building thing is of course a New York thing, but it just it didn't feel like what I know Queens to be either. But I guess it's you know Long Island City is right next to Greenpoint, which is right next to Williamsburg, and it's all kind of branching out with that kind of development. Yeah, I mean, in some respects, it might be considered successful that it doesn't feel like a part of New York that you、mm. experienced previously.、Mm-hmm. It means that the developers have created a space that feels its own, and as it、yeah. continues to be there, it becomes its own stamp on something. Yeah, and it was it was nice. I mean, the plaza is nice and public space and yeah, open and airy and. It was that's perfectly fine. But yeah, it was distinctly different from the rest of the walk. Yeah. And I'm wondering how many other times we'll feel that in Queens. Yeah. If there will be an energy like that anywhere else. Yeah, we'll find out. I do. Yeah, I guess the the analogy would be two spaces in Williamsburg that we walk through in week one, although not quite because it. That plaza aspect is not something that you really can find in Williamsburg. It's more like there's a street, and then on either side there are condos. I mean, maybe when Domino Park is complete, it'll feel similarly. Yeah, maybe something like that. But that has an open space quality to it that like doesn't have enough buildings around it. I don't think it'll feel exactly the same either. Maybe, maybe something like. Like in a downtown Brooklyn or Brooklyn Heights vibe, maybe that maybe that exists there too. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's unique. It's and that's, unique. That's interesting.、Mm-hmm. So, and it was a yeah, it was a pleasant area to to visit either early or late in the day, briefly, before we kind of begin what is like the either the final or the first portion、right. of a daily walk, which starts with. This person that we said we mentioned earlier in the podcast, right? We walked by. We're on Vernon Boulevard, and then turning onto 
think it's Borden Avenue. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I think that's it. There sort is of a, right before you get to the bridge. Yeah. There is a parking lot, and in that parking lot are half a dozen to ten destroyed cars, burned yeah, out, like smashed, real smashed, airbags gone off, everything, yeah. you know, all messed up. And on our third day, we spotted a man doing miniature oil paintings of one of these cars. I don't know if miniature is the right. Okay. Because that makes it sound like it's really tiny. Yeah. It was like six by six inches. Yeah. His canvas. So it's very small. Yeah. And so we saw him on the Wednesday and we thought to ourselves, or maybe it was Tuesday. I think we saw him on Tuesday. So it was the second day yeah. of the walk. And yeah, we we passed by. And there's this thing when you're walking this far where if even if you're just half a block past something, you're you're not going back. Right. So we passed by and then we got about a half a block away and thought, oh, wow, we should go talk to that guy. And we said, okay, well, if he's there tomorrow, we will. And he was. Yeah, he fortunately was there he was. on Wednesday, too. And so we talked to him. His name is Scott Williams. He's a local painter. And I went on his website. It looks like he does a lot of sort of urban landscape paintings that are all really nice. And yeah, it was nice to chat with him, let him know that we had noticed what he was doing. He said he was painting at that scale, that small scale, because he wasn't sure, you know, there at any point those cars could be removed. They're basically just big piles of car trash. So he figured at some point they could go away and he wanted to get get it down enough of the image before that happens yeah and not start into something that's just going to get taken at any point yeah um but yeah he he said the reason he was there was because he had just been biking by with his son a few weeks prior and during the yeah a few months i guess the or pandemic maybe a few months yeah. yeah yeah and figured that that would be a fun or a nice an interesting thing to to capture yeah yeah, so that I actually I actually saw him the next day under di different circumstances. I was walking in the direction towards Astoria Park, so going the opposite of how we've described. And he rode by on his bike and had a cart behind the bike with a red flag hanging from behind of it and a much bigger canvas, presumably to go to another site for the day. Now that day, that was a Thursday, was all sun. So I guess he was yeah. he was starting early to go to hit some place for the whole day. But yeah, it was really cool. He's a professor at Pratt. Yeah. And, he... and City College too, I think he said. Did he say City as well? I think so. Yeah. And um, yeah, I actually, I went on his website and I want to read just a small part of his bio, mm -hmm. if that's okay, because I thought it was interesting. He, and this is all just quoted from the website. Scott Williams is drawn to the particulars of place that indicate the life lived there, the history, the industry, the roadways, traffic, houses, vehicles, or other more ordinary details of the landscape. 
He is also drawn to the constant flux and flow of people that one is constantly put into close and observable proximity with in a city like New York. Yeah. I mean, he described his work as performative to some degree, you know, that some days when the weather was inclement, he would bring out a covering and yeah. just always be out there. And he thought that having people interact with him was part of it. It was an interesting energy that he was giving off. I think it was, from my perspective, one of conservation, where he wasn't overly enthusiastic to be talking to us, but he also wasn't rejecting us out of hand either. Yeah. It was more a, you know, he was he continued to paint while we were talking to him. And once uh, we told him what we were doing, he had a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. and Jesse, at the conclusion, asked if he could take a picture, and he had a funny response, which was, normally I wonder why people even want pictures, but I understand from your perspective. So he didn't actually say yes. <laughs> He didn't actually say yes. No, but, but, he, but he said he got he, it. Yeah, he consented to it yeah. at the same time. So, Yeah, so I took a picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to remember it because I also really liked the painting and wasn't sure if I'd be, if it would be anywhere yeah. online or, you know, don't know if we'll ever run into him again. So, yeah, yeah and wanted to capture that moment and that special thing that we witnessed. Yeah. Yeah, so that was under... Pretty much under the Kosciuszko Bridge, I guess. No. Oh, I don't no? Think so. That wasn't under a bridge. That was on Borden, and then right yeah. after we walked under a bridge. Like we did walk under a bridge, later. but I don't believe it's the Kosciuszko. Oh, I, okay. I believe that's, I, I think it's just a LIE overpass. Oh, it might be, yeah. yeah. It's something passing over from Long Island City into Brooklyn. Yeah. But. So then, yeah, we turn on to Review Avenue. We start uh -huh. getting more into industry streets again as right. we start to go through the area where the graveyards were, which, again, was just this kind of passing through point of industry. So Review Avenue and then onto a street called Rust Street, which really lived up to its name yeah. as far as it's just dirt and traffic and yeah. trucks. And there's yeah. a really... All the, the only thing that kind of stands out on that street that's not like sort of standard rusty industry, there's a super fancy car remodeling business right. um, that I just thought was so funny because it's like this really gross, dirty street and then like a Lamborghini. <laughs> and that's the only kind of fancy car I even know the name of. <laughs> but there are all sorts of like other shiny, fancy cars and these all these guys like making those noises and buffing things and like running around and in suits. And yeah. it's like, wh what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so just that contrast was really funny. And we had to, it was actually also right where the sidewalk ended on the other side of the street. So we had the only option was to go like weave around the fancy cars to get to another sidewalk. Yeah. So yeah, all those things coming together were each time we did that, I found that amusing. Yeah. And from there, yeah, it's more or less going through the cemetery section mm -hmm. again. We went to a park. Oh boy, I wish I could remember the name of that park. The one right over, we take the over ramp on that. 
The one in Maspeth. Yeah. I think it might just be called Maspeth Park. No. Oh. <laughs> it has a, it was a person's name. Oh. Uh, Can I look it up? Sure. I'll look it up. I'll soft shoe oh, wow. while you uh, figure it out. Okay. <laughs> but the nature of that park was cool. There was a, there there was a soccer field, and there were people always playing soccer, even in the tropical storm. There were yeah. There was a six on six soccer game going on, which yeah, I guess I mean from a certain perspective is a lot of fun, but it definitely felt alive with activity each time we went there, and it had restrooms and water supply which is always a plus when we're walking around yeah and they had a pretty good water fountain too that like a bottle can fit in and you push it and it goes instead of like trying to fill it with the little one but yeah so that park was called frank principi yeah park yeah yeah and then and then yeah from there we basically walk through the cemeteries area yeah back down forest or fresh pond which everyone we didn't do in the morning. Right. And then home. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a pretty good week. It was. Yeah. I think as far as, you know, report on body and, you know, experience of that thing, I've developed a bunch of blisters this week, which I wasn't super happy about. Uh, There is a sense that, like, you can just prepare for that. And I yeah. think that's true to a degree, but I also think there's just, yeah, there's a degree that, that you can't prepare for that. So yeah. there, we have, I have two types of socks. There's one that's like a thicker wool sock that feels so great to wear, but I think that they don't interact with the shoes that I have very well. And so they've created some real problems on the heels. And... They seem to be improving, but we'll see. We have we only have a day, one day off this this week before we start another one mm-hmm. because we're preparing for Jesse's birthday hey. next week. So we are making the calendar such that we only have one day off this week, and then in two weeks we only have one day off again, so that we can have a four day weekend to celebrate Jesse's big thirtieth birthday. Wow! Yeah. yeah so i don't know how that's going to impact what the foot healing situation is like yeah yeah the fact that this is our only rest day yeah before getting back onto it yeah hopefully it heals enough to get back out there yeah and then you'll have a four-day weekend to heal yeah so even if it kind of continues to blister this week hopefully with extra days off it'll when we get back to it, then everything will be groovy. Yeah. And there's also, I think, a aspect of mental um, uh, maintenance, mental preparedness. I don't know what, maybe I'll find a better word for it in a second, but there's always going to be whatever the lowest hanging fruit in terms of pain or like concern is, is probably going to be something you're thinking about at any time. So, you know, there was one day this week where I wore the wool socks with a pair of sneakers that, and I started feeling like this deep foot pain and that really concerned me. Yeah. Because then you start thinking about 
long term how that's going to work. Especially because we're still at the beginning part of this project. Yeah. And I iced it and it seems to have gone away. So that's, you know, that that became the pressing problem. But then when that goes away, then you think about the blisters, which right. are very superficial and they go away and maybe every week there'll be a you know a different blister that's a, a yeah, thing. Yeah, I think I'd rather have the blisters than the other pain. Like this week I started having a knee like behind the knee pain. Yeah. Which luckily was only one day or the, even just half of one day and then I just did some extra stretching and really took care of it for the rest of the day and that night and by the next day it was gone. But that kind of pain is definitely freakier to me at least than the blisters um they hurt for the day they hurt while you're walking but i don't think that they cause any sort of permanent damage yeah but it's the internal muscle or joint pain that really kind of freaks me out yeah yeah and so there's that and then i think the other thing that's interesting the other complaint that's interesting enough to talk about i guess is uh the issue of sunblock Oh. Which we brought up previously, but just having to apply it every two hours is really, I mean, I think it probably takes up 40 minutes to an hour of the walk. Yeah. Because you have to sit down, then you have to apply it everywhere. And you also have to wipe off your legs each time, or I do. This is all, I guess, this is all me problem. Yeah, this is you problem. Jesse doesn't have this issue as much. And then with like the... Uh, like the oil and the dirt that's on your hands, even if you're trying your best to keep your hands clean. And we have hand sanitizer, which we wouldn't normally have. Uh, it's still just like screws with your skin. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's not the greatest conditions for your body to be like oil, sweat, dirt, rub it around with your hands every couple hours. Yeah, so. yeah I've definitely had to, we've got to figure out new skincare routines. I've gotten used to, especially over the winters, I just slather oil, like argan oil or avocado oil or whatever I have. You know, I have a whole bunch of oils in the bathroom that I just slather all over my face and yeah. my body. And that's not going to cut it with when you're then covering yourself in sunscreen and walking around and sweating all day that I feel like I don't need any more oil on my skin. Yeah. But I we had initially this one spray on sunblock, which worked pretty well the first couple of weeks. But it was only going to be one can a week, and I was looking to find something that had maybe some more value. So I found <laughs> I found this one. It's like a Sam's Club. A Sam's or Club something. knockoff. I think it's over there right now. None of them are facing the label. It's like Members Club, whatever. Yeah. And they are fine. They are. They will be fine for like if you're going to the beach mm -hmm. and you need sunblock. However. They do not interact with dirt well, which like, why would anybody be dirty when they're applying sunblock unless they're walking constantly all the time? So when they interact with dirt, it like pills, yeah. which is not good it's at gross. all. So we, we're going to go get the sunblock that we originally were getting because it, it just applies much smoother. Yeah. What is it, banana boat? I think so. Yeah. But the yeah. orange one. Yeah. It's orange. It's like, it's like ultra, it's it's ultra sport, I think. Yeah. But so now we have all these cans of the other one that we're. We'll, we'll try to give them to friends. Yes. <laughs> They're going to be great for like a lake day or a beach day or something like that. But yeah, for for walking, it's not ideal. Yeah. So we're learning as we go. And it was, yeah, it was nice on the, I mean, one of the nice things about the rain day was that like, I'd have to wear sunblock. That was yeah. Great. So. Uh, that was a prank. Yeah. But 
I think that pretty much. I think that covers our yeah. week. Yeah. yeah, it does. Yeah, thanks for listening to all of you who are listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching for those that watched. Yeah. We have, I think we spoke about it a little bit last week, but I want to call it out again. We have a new thing that we're developing right now that so far is just exclusively on our Podbean platform and then by extension the Spotify and Apple Music called Use of Force, which is a branch of our unreported t-shirt series where we talk about a different either unidentified or identified, mostly identified, instance of police use of lethal force within the given walk route we're doing for any week. So you can find that on Podbean or Spotify. Another one this week. This week, we talk further in depth about Jesse's t-shirt because it happened to be through the Ridgewood Precinct. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're continuing with that and we'd be excited to hear any feedback you have on that. Yeah, yeah. Part of our intention for that is just to learn more about the policing system, the criminal justice system, how things can be revamped, refunded, reorganized, retrained, whatever it means, all the many different options to basically just better the lives of people that are struggling with whatever they're struggling with. Yeah. This one had to do with the narcotics department and a drug bust. And that is on the spectrum of Thorny to not thorny or clear cut to not clear cut definitely lies on the side of a little murkier to figure out how we can have better interventions. And yeah, we try and do our best to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to hear that, listen to that, let us know. And you can go on our YouTube page for all the other videos that we've been doing and catch up if you haven't seen them before. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. We're going to be here every week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.